podcast hi guys welcome back howdy i'm matt i'm john oh i'm steve you almost interrupted john I, 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 yeah, almost I, almost you do that a lot i do yeah but it's okay not normally this early on no no, no i usually record. wait till track two three four maybe that's all right i have my sights set high it's okay i forgive you <laughs> yeah i forgive you too he doesn't do to you he does it to me i know um <laughs> i, I want to give a, you. <laughs> i want to give a quick Thank you again to our guest from last week, Killy Dwyer, Killy Mockstar Dwyer. It's a pleasure to have her on. She's uh, She was a lot of fun to interview and to chat with. Um, I'm hoping to get to see her perform when she starts touring around the city again. Um, and definitely go check out her newest record, which I believe was Mock Bottom, was the more recent one. And uh, that's with her full band, Kill the Band, which is all of her studio recordings feature that band. Um, but it was a pleasure to have her on. Um, also, this week's episode of Crash Chords Autographs. Um, this week I interview the uh, wonderful Bag of Tricks cat, which is a mouthful. Um, he is a rapper from Arizona area. I discovered his music through Megarand, who I've also interviewed. Steve did a fun little intro because his grandmother actually wrote the original theme to the original Felix the Cat. That's right, as I produce the autographs episodes and do. and do the write-ups. I, I like to have fun with it sometimes. Well, I mean, good. Well, here's the thing. The reasoning for actually including the soundbite of uh, the 1959 Felix the Cat song is because I'm, I'm a little worried that some people of our generation specifically Don't know what it sounds like. may not actually get the reference. Yeah. So I felt it was, you know, it, it, you have to pay homage sure, if, it's a, if it's a key point of the conversation. I agree. And so it was an interesting starting point for the interview too because I brought it up immediately because I'd never interviewed someone before who was involved in those old cartoons. And of course I grew up watching a lot of that stuff on reruns, so it was an important thing to talk about, and it was great that you added that to the mm -hmm. intro. So check out that interview. It's it's on the website on iTunes and Stitcher. I hope you guys like it. But let's get into this week's album without delay. Well, a little more delay. So this week is our November listener pick, and our listener pick is the one and only Jessica Vota, who I met on the Scoop Cruise, also known as my honeymoon. Scoop Cruise, and she is a scoop. She is a scoop from Matt Mattingly's Ice Cream Social. Um, also, shout out, as we're recording this today, it's Matt, uh, Paul Mattingly's birthday, so happy birthday, Paul. That's today or today? Recording day or recording release day? day. So, you know, you got to clear this up. I said that. I said as we're recording. At least you're only dating the content to one specific individual and anybody stalking him, but you don't date the content. <laughs> um, so I met Jessica and her husband, um, Joey, on the Scoop Cruise, and shout out to you guys. Also, shout out from my wife, uh, Sarah, says, Jessica, she misses your face. That exact message. Um, Joey, she didn't say anything about you, sorry, but I miss your face. Anyway, um, they were really fun to hang out with. They were devoted followers of the Ice Cream Social, and we befriended them over the course of the week we were on the boat. Um, she's, of course, been very interactive with Crash Chords and with my Twitter account because she lives on Twitter practically and started telling me about how she was into metal and likes all these different bands. I said, hey, if you have a recommendation, please shoot it to us. And so she did via email. May I ask, what's the rent on Twitter? I mean, she lives on Twitter. I'm just wondering because I mean, I imagine the rent in New York City is pretty high. I know. It must be cheaper than New York, I, I would imagine. Think, I would hope. Unless I, I mean, your Twitter account is based on a New York IP, and that's probably through the roof. That could be it also. Yeah, true. Internet is true, Sadly. true. If you have a server here, ooh, that's a lot of yeah. real estate. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, servers aren't as big as they used to be, though. They're not full rooms now. They're smaller than that. 
True. Maybe. Oh, so you can have it like a little box in an alleyway between like some building and some building, probably still through the roof. Could I'm be. sure there's hobo Wi-Fi. Yeah. I can't even afford the cardboard box anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, that's that's too high now. Um, it's changing times. Getting back on track, though, she has, of course, mentioned that she's a big fan of metal and had been throwing bands at me to check out. I was like, hey, um, why don't you recommend one as a listener recommendation to the podcast? And so she did. She emailed admin at crashcourse.com, which is where you can reach out to us with any uh, listener mail, uh, suggestions about the podcast, information about you, stuff you're into, comments, questions, and, of course, recommendations. And she did. And, of course, that band was um, Huntress, Huntress, and the album was Static, Static. which is the brand, <laughs> their brand new record, their third record um, to date. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to take it on. I like when the listeners reach out. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, the recommendation. First of all, in her original uh, letter to us, which we read at the end of last week's episode, uh, she said she didn't know if we do a lot of metal. Well, we do a little bit of everything, and it's true why I would normally say that, yes, this album is a bit outside our usual fare. We don't really have any week-to-week similarities. Just looking at our last few episodes, going from rap pop to Balkan folk to faux kids music, why not thrash metal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. So, I mean, we're no strangers to metal, of course. I'm partial to the progier side of metal, although that may yet come up. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> I really love giving away spoilers early on. But this is also very straightforward. We can at least melt away some of the fusion footnotes. So, the band, Huntress. They are a band formed in 2009 with, over the course of that time, a slew of overlapping members. But the constants are, and always have been, lead vocalist Jill Janis and lead guitarist Blake Mial. Currently, we've also got other members, Eli Santana on rhythm guitar, Tyler Mial on drums, and Spencer Jacob Grau on bass. Now, here's an interesting connection to last week. Last week, of course, we interviewed Kelly Dwyer of Kill the Band, as you mentioned, and had a big discussion on her combined influences. Well, in forming her sound, she even went so far as to study opera and to use that technique in her studies. Same thing happened with this particular vocalist. Uh, Jill Janis is a professionally trained opera singer. Not necessarily in the opera field, but professionally trained. So same deal, she got the technique out of it. And as a result, she can sing between four octaves, which is an impressive feat, I hope you all should know. So, we are going to dive into their most recent album, Static, which was released not only two, three months ago. It's, a, it's, it's this year, absolutely, 2015. Um, I believe this is their fourth album? I think third, album. Third, third album. They had an EP, I believe, so either one or two EPs, but this is their third full-length studio album. All right, so first of all, let's go into the first track, Sorrow. This track withholds no punches. It dives right in. Everything's thrashing. It's a great groove, if a little bit tried and true on the rhythm guitar. You got the high-intensity drums, but of particular interest to me is the lead guitar. It's your classic power metal. The wailing guitar, lots of rolls, soaring high and above everything else. But the melodic line here, to me, is just really strong alone. Not just because of how it confronts you, but because of how it rises up almost like a Muse-esque melodic line. Picture the way Matt Bellamy of Muse sings, the classically tortured soul. Same type of melody. But even more particularly interesting than that, to me, is the vocalist. Uh, Jill Janis's voice is an interesting case, because... Here, I'm almost a little bit torn, and I understand this is a big component of the, of, of the song, the album and the band as a whole, but this may be uh, one of those either you're on board with it or you're not kinds of voices. I actually had to do a bit of an out-of-body 
thing to fully appreciate the style that she's working with because it's so forceful it almost exists separate and apart from the band at times. I don't know if that's bad or good yet, but it's it's imposing and that's always a plus. It's powerful and it stands out, which is really important, I think. Yeah. And it's dirty. That's one of my favorite aspects what do you mean of the by vocal. dirty. Gravelly. Oh, okay. It's not a a a a true old like She's 75 years old and everything's falling apart in her body and obviously her voice isn't going to be there. But there's a hitch. There's an underlying vibration in the back of the throat as she sings, which muddies it up. And it's such a perfect mesh for metal. It really is a great combination of of, of having its theme work really matching the vocals here. For me, I think, um, I mean, Steve's absolutely right. This is a gut punch almost of a start to the song. It's screechy, it's fast, it's heavy. It's hard and fast. It's hard and fast. But what I really like about it is that um, I think it's just her, I, I think I have to agree with Steve, the voice. Like, that's the really most standout part for me. But what's reminiscent about her voice and the song itself is it, it's nostalgic to me for, like, the really heavy, good 80s and 90s metal First name that comes to mind for me is Iron Maiden. Bruce Dickinson also had a ability to growl and howl and screech and kind of hit all these ranges in between. And she has a similar cadence to that. And I, I really, it, that takes me back. Well, it's interesting because uh, there are times where she can sometimes seem almost uniformly forceful, if mm -hmm. that makes any sense. It, it, it's sort of cagey because you have to just accept that going forward. A lot of the album will be that way. But it's, it's like a blanket. Not necessarily dynamic in every single instance, not really fluctuating in terms of timbre. The mixing, though, actually feels as if it's holding her back at times, because to let her loose would be to unleash the beast. And there seems to be a lot of compression as a result. So a few filters, uh, because a raw cut of this would be terrifying. And I, I might actually love that. <laughs> there is some inflection that she goes into. One line in particular, bury me, when she goes into that in a uh, pre-chorus or part one of the chorus, of the song itself, she she really raises her inflection high up. It, it it's a great moment and shows a lot of range from what I thought would be a little bit safe. Beautiful voice, but safe. Her actually cutting loose out there and really just just put punching it was was a great moment for the track itself. Now I'm glad you picked out that particular moment because it, I'm not saying her voice is incapable of variances. It actually has its own unique way of being dynamic. So I really enjoyed the grumble just prior to the to the line that you read. Uh, sort of grumble in the lines racing to death my life is spent where she gets really really low and almost un an undercurrent but then suddenly throws it back to forceful with that line bury me so it's as if this is marked by impulses whims and and fears and you get that that that's the reasoning i believe behind this intensity uh and her vocal intensity but it's on that note, especially considering these lyrics, that I'd like to touch upon theme here. Because we almost have a case in the lyrics of someone that's sort of losing their mind. And losing time, almost. And I know this is maybe a little early in the album to start really tackling theme in a big way. But perhaps some of these lyrics here really aren't far off from the truth. Especially as you'd maybe gauge from some recent experiences to Jill Janis, who's had some... Experiences with bipolar disorder, uh, schizophrenia, and disassociative identity disorder. Um, she's also been diagnosed with cancer earlier this year, so she's grappling with a lot of stuff right now, and considering the timing of this of this release, uh, and considering a quote of hers, I don't think it's really far off to be start to start looking through this lens as we go through these lyrics. She commented, The evolution of Huntress bleeds into Static, our third and most prolific album. It is the heaviest and catchiest record we've written. The process of writing and recording was new and exciting, at times very difficult for all involved. 
Never have I been so honest in my approach to songwriting. I reveal lifelong personal obstacles that I previously feared weaving into my lyrics. So with that kind of note, it seems like there's stuff that she hasn't really tackled on previous albums that mm -hmm. she's maybe, ta maybe tackling here. And considering that line, you know, the fear of losing time, losing... Uh, just flat out shouting out, bury me. I mean, this is a, it's a little bit morbid going in, but the 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 force and the the force in which she sings seems to really convey this this imminency. Well, also, I mean, that frustration. Like, if you're, I can't speak to her treatment because I don't know her, but I know other people who've gone through cancer treatment, and I feel like it can be frustrating. Like, who wouldn't want to yell, bury me? Like at that point, you're like kind of almost like enough. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And so that kind of emotionality when dealing with that kind of stuff, if that's weaved in here, I mean, absolutely makes sense, and you get a sense of that frustration and almost aggression in the way she sings sometimes. There's definitely a lot of emotion attached to her singing style, yeah, undeniably. And, and as much as someone might say, well, you know, try to have a positive attitude in the midst of all this, you know, we experienced this also in uh, our discussion of Beirut's No, 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 and how a lot of things were going through his life at the time that he was writing that album. But you always try in your art to sort of do the flip side of the coin. Someone tells you, all right, be positive, be positive, but you need an outlet, and the yeah. art often is the outlet, which is why it, it must be very cathartic to, I think, release that in such an on-the-nose fashion. Well, also, it's much easier for someone outside the situation to tell you to be positive. When you're in it, it's also a lot harder to, to face that kind of a thing head-on. Yeah, especially later on uh, in the chorus, she, she says, Sorrow, can't let go, I'm done with getting old, all I've got is breath to hold. My hate fuels the pain. I get trashed to fuck my brain. Thoughts breed regret. The future is my only threat. I mean, I, I think it's really impossible to take these lyrics in any other way. No, yeah, it does seem def almost defeatist and morbid and very, very much like this is the end. And, and, and I mean, who, I mean, everyone's felt that way to one extreme or another. So, I mean, that's also something that I think is why this song itself is very engaging because you kind of get that honesty through how in your face and fast and heavy and just no holds barred this first track is. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, back to music for one second, sometimes it is a little hard to gra to grapple with those the heights that she reaches sometimes, but I, I do think that it works considering the theme. Um, it, it's various choices which I'm just almost a little dubious on or would be dubious on if maybe I didn't have that theme at the ready. Like, the every single time she gets high, a lot of times it's like almost the same exact note. So you hear almost this like pattern of reaching the same height in, in, in rapid succession, or, or not rapid succession, but in succession from verse to verse. And, you know, it can be a little bit grating to the ear, but I believe that's the point. I was okay with the grating nature of it. I mean, it's something you kind of come to expect with metal, that it's going to be in your face. It's metal. It's kind of the whole idea behind the genre. What was bothering me was a little bit of the heavy reliance on the rhythm. Just a little bit too much right there. There is a... Uh, a pretty enjoyable solo uh, midway through yeah, the track itself, but the, the the heavy drums was a little bit too driving for me. But I don't want to gla glaze right over that solo. I mean, it was a little show-offy, but but in, it was in a pleasant way. I mean, it was it was definitely impressive. There was skill behind it. It wasn't like show-offy and like, oh, whatever, a hack. You know, like, I don't want to glaze over the solo either, but I think you're on two separate points. Because after all, if you were commenting on the rhythm, well, that's almost secondary when you're actually considering... Uh, a solo because the focus is on the soloist the focus is on the guitarist the rhythm is really more I think I think it's the overall genre itself can sometimes be such a blanket that her vocals which can sound grating in any other environment here they sound blended but they're already 
forceful against such a forceful backdrop, if that makes any sense. So then when you have them both at once, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to find the contrast, and I feel you do need contrast in music. Maybe that was more my problem. The conflict between the vocals and the rhythm section, which is there, is actually a good point to it, though. I would lo- I like that. It, it's For an introduction track, there's a perfect way to portray what you're trying to do. Well, my point is there aren't many contrasts, I think, except if perhaps that's so. Just the point. force versus force I'm talking about between the vocals and the rhythm. Yeah. The back and forth between the two. The, they're competing with one another. It's just that the, the, the rhythm, I wanted a little more spice to it. I think that was really what I wanted, just, just to really contrast or even complement her vocals a little bit more because she was going through co- contrast, especially in a lot of the chorus work, and that, I think, could have benefited there. It may have been the time where a little bit of prog influence could have perhaps helped this, this song, you know, throw up the time signatures a little bit, that sort of thing. So I, I agree with that point, but I agree with Matt as well. The solo is not something to oh, gloss over in it's any so stretch. Good. Like, this is really, really neat. The guy here uh, has got chops up and down. It's, it's power guitar again. It's all over the map, but it really marries well with the drums, I think. It was it was an early show of, of virtuosity in this track. And I also really liked how the guitar changed tone between like the phrases of the bridge. So you have some some uh, textural shifts in that regard as well. It almost had like a like a 16-bit sound to it. It was really almost a throwback to 80s uh, power guitar, that kind of thing. Which I mean, considering the influences I'm at least hearing at this point in just the first song, I would be unsurprised if it's a direct influence from those songs of the 80s yeah the um yeah the only uh last thing i'll say about this track is in terms of mixing i felt it's well mixed but it's not it's not extravagantly mixed like some of the the little touches that they put on because it is basically just the band itself but the little touches that they put on like between the chorus when she says sorrow can't let go then there's a little echo there which feels a little bit plastered on i wish it was just a little bit more integrated but otherwise the idea is sound most of the ideas i think throughout this are sound i just wish they were a little bit more integrated but the album is young let's go to track two uh flesh so the intro to this track i really like even better than the first track because the guitar and drum intro felt very playful the guitar felt more engaging and more playful than the previous it's, track it's there's a lot more movement in yeah. what it's doing it's not a it, it's it's not just straight line. speed there's texture to it well, it's talk- bridging the line between a rhythm guitar and a lead guitar it is keeping the w- rhythm very well getting you pumped up for the song itself it goes places though it, it's it's a playing follow the leader this song goes in so many places. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, even just from the very beginning, I agree with the, the different tones of the guitar. That I, I like the, the very beginning where it's distant in the right ear and then suddenly it's in the spotlight. And then as for the verse, mostly the verse is just, you know, pivoting chords back and forth between uh, G minor and A flat major. Uh, but I really liked the choruses here because in, in choruses you shift. Now we're, we're in D. We're just a fifth up from the, from the verses. But there's a moment here when she sings... Hey, I'm not the same. I'm in lust. Feel me bust. And right on that note, right on on bust, literally, not only is it her her signature belting vocals, it's the full-blown accent like we described in the last track, but this time the chords really put it in perspective. The chord shifts up to an F minor 7, I believe, which from the D power chords, which was the previous chord, it's just this wonderful upward motion, much more longing, incredibly open, even a little bit insecure. It's it's incredibly musical, it's not just a raw force. Now, of course, I do have a slight problem with this. 
but it's not briefness this time, because that's normally what we would have a problem with at this. Like, yeah, hey, that's a beautiful moment, and then we're back to the, you know, the, the, the general groove of the track. But this is not, not a problem for me, because it actually works incredibly well for just that brief moment. And the following verse is not predictable in the slightest. It doesn't go back. It moves through new material into what I believe are two stanzas of a chorus that doesn't really come across, quarterly speaking, as a chorus. Which is really relieving to me, considering some of our past albums, it's not a predictable anchor. It's developmental. You get foreign chords, fresh tonal centers, it's wonderful. But that problem here is that there is a moment where I feel like the genre is, again, holding this moment back a bit. And by that I mean instrumentation, texture. The blanket of instruments here is masking what to me is a solid, innovative chord progression. I almost wish there was something in post-production, a different patch on the guitar, a more prominent bass line to give this beautiful moment its due. There is one thing, though, that does showcase the instrumentation in a much better light, and that is the interludes post-chorus, pre-next verse. They go into not quite solos, it's very brief, but it's what does the tonal shift for the actual track itself. It what allows them to go into a whole new idea, or maybe not a whole new idea, but a new idea, to give the guitars, the bass, the drums, more breathing room to, to do something expansive. But These see, little bits are very, very enjoyable. Oh, it is absolutely I enjoyable. like how brief they are. I like how contained they are, and I like how they're not solos. I like it's just a showcase of a chromatic shift. It's as I said, but the, the thing is, if what do you see as the pre-chorus here? Because I hear the lines, the first lines I read, hey, I'm not the same, I'm in lust, feel me bust, as a kind of pre-chorus, because then, hunt you like a wild beast, turn you out for my release, craving your flesh. What I'd give to watch you cry, sister, I ain't gonna lie, unless it's on your flesh. This is what I hear as the chorus, not only because, of course, we bring back the word flesh, which is the title of the track, which is always a good hint, but it just feels like this is where it's at in some way. But it's not, it's, it's well, so it's not a predictable post. chorus. I, I, I love that about metal, if anything. It's immediately after that chorus. It's immediately that, oh, that short 15, 20 seconds that sets up a whole new style for the genre to go into for the song to go into it gives you a whole a big big shift just to just play around do something different i'm enjoying just the fact that we're not getting a section b sections but we're kind of getting movements throughout the idea of what, what's going on these movements evolve the track and add and influence the theatricality i feel like that the whole track has whereas in the first track there's definitely a delivery and intensity this track feels full-on theatrical and considering how sexualized the lyrics are and how passionate the lyrics are i expect nothing less from metal but the way she's delivering the lines the way the music is supporting it adds this performance aspect that just reminds me why i love metal live and i imagine hearing the song in the flesh in person would be even more incredible in the flesh huh? <laughs> yeah well there is that that signature moment in the track which was just chilling where she's saying craving your flesh and when your flesh comes out as a dead whisper and by dead i mean it's like everything has just dropped out even even the little bits of of the personality of the vocalist. It's just dead flesh. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment in the track because it it ends the track for me. But there's a problem I have with this. The track continues, and that's what kind of marred the moment for me, marred that little instant because having it ring out as just her saying your flesh would have been pure impact. 
So you didn't like the cycle? The I didn't the, like the, the recycling. Yeah, I didn't I, like I coming thought, back so this into is a case it. where I was not really having as much of a problem with it because I thought it was I thought it was such a broad structure anyway that it's like, all right, give me one more reprise, why not? Um, in fact, there was an earlier beautiful moment that I'm gonna just say quickly, and it has to do with a similar line, and it was the end of that of that course. Unless it's on your flesh, and she slows it down here. This was particularly interesting to me. I thought this was a really, really artful close to the chorus, and it occurs the first chorus and I believe the second chorus. She goes down from, well, actually the chords in general go from A flat major down to G minor, and then down to C minor, which is your home key. Meanwhile, she is singing on down the scale. She's singing unless it's on your flesh. B flat, A, G. And the A right there in the middle is this beautiful passing tone, uh, a, a five sus two, I believe, bat down to one, which is such a satisfying resolution. I absolutely, I mean, again, the, I feel that metal, you know, as, as much as it may be a little bit whitewashed to, to a lot of people as this kind of just overall background sound, in general has some of the more intriguing chord progressions as most other genres, probably alongside jazz and whatnot. And it may not be noticeable to everyone at first because of the overall instrumentation, but it's there. You gotta note it. I think that the song really gives us that next level from track one and kind of takes us into what Huntress is really all about. Um, I, I'm also on the same page with Steve. I feel like this song doesn't really feel its length. I feel like I kind of enjoyed it. I didn't mind coming back to what I was already enjoying. But I understand where John's coming from as far as that seemed like a definitive end to him. Um, and I, I wasn't disappointed, but I get it. Yeah, and I'm only on the fence about it yeah. because of the fact that I'm conflicted on one hand with what I see uh, from a musical theory perspective as a really, really, really brilliant ideas. But I'm only disappointed in the fact that I feel it's a little bit masked in... in you know, the genre holds it back a little bit in some sense uh, to, let's say, the indiscriminate non-metal person. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. But I, I think it's safe to say at track two, and we'll repeat probably later, this is not for, I don't think it's for the non-discriminate, not-metal fan person. But be that as it may, let's move on to track three, Brian. Um, this song starts off kind of almost balladesque for metal. You know, it's the, vo the when the vocals come in in the beginning, it, they're much more soaring and emotive, and the the instrumentation, while still fairly heavy, is at a little bit of a slower pace and kind of breathing in this melodic ooze almost. But it gets to that. It gets yeah. to that because in the very beginning, it starts off still very full power chords, fairly quick. Um, this, this sort of descending chord progression, but not that much different in the way of texture. But then for the verse, that's, that's where we true, enter yeah. that half speed section, which is probably as close as you will get to a slow jam in metal or <laughs> in this environment. I mean, we cut it from like those power chords, uh, the, the runs must have been like 64th notes down to 16th notes, which still seems very quick, but it's a slow 16th notes. It's 1 E and a 2 E and a 3 E and a 4 E and a maybe even a little slower than that. Um, but that's what really brought me some of the texture that I was looking for. The bass was so much more prominent here, and it contrasts with her vocals really, really well. Um, A minor, G major, D minor. That's what we got here, but that D minor, the low D on that is really, really low. The bass might have actually been tuned down just to reach this, which is why I think it packs such an uncanny punch for this, this slow ballad. And then after that, we go to F major, G major, and A. And on top of all that is some of my favorite vocals on the entire album because she's spaced, she's drawn, she's working with that initial framework. And then the song even goes into like a double time, triple time kind of a setup. The subsequent verses and choruses really do get a big infusion of speed to everything or at least an apprehension to everything. The pre-chorus seemed a little jauntier, yeah. 
and the vocals don't miss a beat. They're still very out there, very airy. She takes her time drawing words out. I'm in love with this, and I'm getting really invested in the actual words. But not just words, word. One word, and it's what, it's what defines this track to me. It's the title yet again, so it's not really hard to predict, but it's such a strong delivery. That word, Brian, and she holds that on out. Holy moly, the, the, the vocals are incredible. You feel the desperation in that word. Uh, the flat sixth interval kind of also helps, but the chorus is is uh, the same chromatic hook from the beginning. It's that uh, the chromatic downward progression here. So once you reach that that note, Brian, which is uh, I believe on the E, then it's just that that flat sixth interval really just sends this out and above the piece in a certain way. Again, desperate. And it's so artful word-wise. I mean, we're getting these lyrics, and I love these lyrics. Brian finds me, brings me stars captured in glass coins of silver forceful saver saint of protection for later awkward wizard your vision zap messages through your hair keep me in your prayers and then the full chorus brian obsession leads you to me i want you to hang around something lost has been found it's beautiful it's, it really is beautiful it's it's nice we talk about poetry, but this is beautiful, dark poetry. It really works so well with the framework of, of the instrumentation and with the drawing of her words, the drawing of her voice. The bellowing that she does with her vocals really supports it, and I think it adds an artfulness to this these already emotive lyrics in the way she's delivering it as well. That's the thing. It's dark, but it's honest. Yes. I mean, in, in that you're bearing your soul to a person, hang around, please be near me. You know, that's that's a, you can't get any more op open and upfront than that. I think the um, darkness comes from the instrumentation, but yeah, you're right. There's an honesty, a straight honesty to this that, that really supports the whole thing. Another line that really stood out to me, there's a sadness I feel deep within your madness. We share the torture. I love that. that so it, is, it says that it's not just a matter of them being around. It's a matter of being kindred spirits in some way. Yeah. It's so... And, Tying together in this dark this dark place that they're in together and getting through it together. Between all the, the, the phases and the rebuilds that the instrumentation goes through throughout this track, we are getting a, a, a story that the music is just changing the emotion as we're going along. Everything matches still the same lyrics that's going on. This is the first track that I'm really drawn to on the album, like thoroughly in love with. But I, but yeah, that's the thing. I don't want to just squash the dark part of it. It can be honest, but the darkness, I think, comes through the fact that, you know, you do have the line obsession. No one just willy-nilly throws around the line obsession. Um, and it shows kind of what I was hinted maybe earlier on in the, in the first track. There's almost a little hint of madness within this, a kind of just succumbing to the pressure of it all, uh, bearing yourself maybe in a, in a not quite wholesome way and and I, I like this theme of madness and it really really comes through at the end too again just honing in on that one word Brian the last return of this the last reprise of that is it's it's amazing because here she's not on the E this time she's on the C sharp so it sounds a little bit off from the first two times or maybe three times in which it was in which it was uttered so we're just a few steps short of that E we're on a C sharp like she just lost the will it comes across as if as it's not quite making it and the instrumentation also helps this as well the guitar is against it they don't take the A flat like they did the first time forming that flat sixth interval they come up short with the G so now we're not resolving on a flat sixth, we're resolving on a tritone, which is as grating as it gets. And that's the way she chooses to end the final reprise of Brian. It doesn't seem like this is really going to be a resolution. It seems like it will remain desperation. Well, think of the actual last lines. 
Brian, obsession leads you to me. Brian, don't you ever leave me. That's the last line we get. Yeah, and so that it, it sounds like this kind of quiet rumble of desperation. And you know, actually, don't you ever leave me. It's 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 almost a, begging. Yeah, and this starts coming across in other aspects of the music as we go along with the album. This is sort of like a tiny little sub theme to the music itself that that shows up, and I love that here we're getting like a personal story connecting this sort of hint of madness. This is this is really the true first hint of madness I'm seeing in the album. Well, it is also an uh, an area where I think the genre helps. The genre yeah, th- sure. is, you know, I may have my little critiques about it, but but here eh, you really can't pick a better genre for madness than than metal. You need to kind of work in catharsis to your routine in some way. Uh, let's go to track four. I want to want to wake up, which is an interesting title in itself because, well, <laughs> something is not being achieved here. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting title aside, though, I feel like if from the moment this track starts, we're getting a here's a metal track. And yes, the album is metal. And so give me a minute to expand on what I'm saying. I feel that like we, we talk about with previous tracks, how on previous records for other bands, they can fall into a more cookie cutter feel. And this feels like that. I don't get a huge difference between this and the first track as far as speed and heaviness. It's it feels familiar, and it feels a little less honest than Brian. I mean, we're coming from a very emotive, dark, and deep track into a new track that just feels a little less honest. There's a very, very steady riff throughout this track that has variants as we go through the verses and choruses, but it's so prevalent that it really becomes uh, uh, the focal point musically for me. The the whole thing is contrasted by a kind of a choppy lyrical delivery, which thematically is is still feeding into the idea of this madness theme we're already building up. Well, every once in a while, I like to just take myself out of the podcast and imagine, well, what, what are the listener thinking of this? They, the genre works for it. The genre doesn't work for it. And, you know, that would almost seem to be the way this sounds from describing the end of the last track in which it worked wonders. And here, where it does seem to be back to the case of holding it back. It's an oscillation, and I think it's an oscillation that, that this, this album grapples with almost on track to track, almost on section to section, is that sometimes it does seem to musically rest on its laurels a little bit and just use the framework as it exists while the theme goes in different places. And I feel that sometimes a little bit of extra, a little extra push, a little nudge uh, could have been applied in order to br- marry them, in order to bring them together. Because, yes, this is fairly thrashy it's very steady it also it relies on that old trick of of uh you know metal where it puts the accent on the end of the fourth beat the whole one and two and three and four and and two and three and four and and two and three and four and and that's where the drum's always thrashing every single measure it it's common in a lot of metal i i I find it almost everywhere because it it, it's it's a high intensity structure it's a it's a framework almost you know packaged sold that's that's a little bit of a problem i have with it going in and it doesn't it doesn't mean that this isn't unique because she does make it unique with her vocals and that's where i am going to to play devil's advocate here i believe there's a contrast especially for some of these moments when she shouts out stop the torture and deceit i'm in pain but i i hurt you worse save yourself from me stop the torture and deceit it packs the same punch as it does earlier but you know context again you just you can't punch it all the time and you also can't punch it all the time when the music is not picking up the pace with you if that makes any sense if it's just stepping back while the vocalist is going all out you don't get this kind of fluidity 
I mean, yeah. I mean, also, I feel like the lyrics, while not bad in this song, I don't think really at all, are not the same kind of open heart, emotional lyrics that the previous track had. There was just a connection and an engagement to the previous track's lyrics that, for me, still thinking of those and lingering on those leaves this track feeling a little more empty. Well, let's take the lyrics. Years drift by and I forget how to play the game, I will find another name. There's a lack of identity just from what the character is portraying here. So if the character doesn't have an identity, if the vocalist doesn't have an identity, then how are you going to really present that to the audience? It's a, it's a hard line. Uh, you found a loophole. <laughs> it's a hard line to work with here. That's why I think the combination of the very steady music and the very choppy vocals artistically is very appropriate. It's, it really is pushing the idea forward. I'm just not really on board with it from a, an enjoyment perspective, I guess, yeah, at the no, end of the day. Yeah, no, but you make a good point. And although I'm, I'm sort of like begging some release, some some alternate emotion, especially when it comes to conveying these themes, I, it, I do think it would behoove them to show some contrast at this point. Uh, take the chorus, for example. That chorus, yeah, I just feel like we're in familiar territory for the most part. The solo is the most interesting part, again, I, for me, even above the vocalist this time, because, like I said, the vocalist, when you combine that with the rest of the music, it, it's not it is not the same standout-ish figure. But the solo is... It's certainly born out of the melody, and the guitarist plays very melodically, but he also does all things at once, uh, especially when he adds like the echoed track in, in, in the, the background. You get both melodies and you also get color, which is something that not a lot of soloists can do. Normally, it's, well, I'm either going to be a melody or I'm going to be color and just kind of, well... The funny thing is actually in solos, you'd expect that it would just be melody, but I've heard a lot of solos that, that are more inflected rather than borrowing directly from melodic figures. In, in other words, they, they're more like mood setters, and of course they're improvised, but they're, they're, they, they stick to mood. In this case, he's doing both, which I find really fascinating. Yeah, I think that the song as a whole, it, 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 I think it, it does feed into the theme, and I think that this idea of I want to wake up, you know, I want to want to wake up even, it, it, the kind of almost cyclical nature of the lyrics and the music kind of lends to a dream you can't wake up from. Like, if you're stuck in a dream you can't wake up from, there's going to feel like you're stuck in a loop almost. And so I, I would almost say that this track plays to the character that it's creating. You could interpret that a couple ways, though. Because, of course, of course uh, I have, I mean, the opening lines say, uh, I have dreams of what I want to of what I used to be. Lifetimes fail and fall. I always leave them behind. So, in some sense, you almost feel that she's caught in the dream, like you said, yeah. right? And that she wants to wake up from the dream. But I also kind of hear it as the sort of, I just want to wake up or get up and, and, and yeah. do something. Like you're being, you know, the the... Almost like the sloth kind of thing. The idea that well, you're stuck in a rut and you want to wake up from that. Exactly. Rut. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would go a slightly different slant on that. I would say it's almost as if she's shed her identity and now doesn't have something to drive her. The the lack of the id factor mm -hmm. really is keeping her from becoming uh, an actualizing person. And because she can't actualize herself, she can't have the desires to do something. Well, that's sort of similar. I mean, the, if you see actualizing as, as escaping the rut, then I, I think that's kind of the same point. But it's, it's, I just feel like it's, it's that not even lack of identity she has right here, but that kind of the, the shucking of it, the getting away of previous lives that both helps and hurts this track. 
Well, I also don't want to like push too far away from what we noted as of track one, which is the kinds of things she's dealing with. I oh, mean, yes, I don't want to throw around the word rut when you're dealing with, you know, uh, schizophrenia. Well, then these are things that then instead of sometimes rut, you don't have as much control instead, over. Well, then instead of rut, substitute darkness. Stuck in this darkness. Yes. Or this depression. Yeah. I the think whole, the con- concept that society always tells you overcome, overcome. I can't always. I think the fact that we can. De- a little at least where this track might be coming from adds at least a little more of an element to the track than we were initially giving it credit for or more specifically I was initially giving it credit for and which I think is fair and to that point she does make use of, a, of an interesting soundbite later on to kind of bring this to a head a sort of rumble in the background just before the bridge that was pretty interesting because I, I, I don't know what made that um, but more please I just I enjoyed it so much that I feel like it it, it was that standoutish figure it was that extra bit of texture that extra patch that every that little extra bit of color that I was looking for at the beginning of this track and a few other tracks you know that that makes the genre more well-rounded and not just the given instrumentation and that was that sub theme I was hinting at previously that I feel like is is showing up again that madness is really starting to become a full force item of this track and speaking of madness we have the next track, Mania. Oh, thank God. I, I, this is all right. I, I know we all know it's a Metallica trope to pummel you into the ground for four tracks straight and then to soothe you to sleep for one oddball. But f*** it, it works. It works. <laughs> well, and it's, so this track also uh, doesn't even do that lightly, like uh, uh, Nothing Else Matters or other tracks that don't, you know, maybe go four or five minutes. This one goes a whopping eight minutes and 44 seconds. And the slow kind of almost spooky alluring intro with with a wailing kind of guitar goes back to that the theatricality I was talking about in track two, which yeah. is where I feel like metal thrives. Metal thrives in a, in, a, in a space where you can picture and imagine stuff. And I think bringing it back to that and also slowing it down, making it more melodic and heartfelt, really is something that this album thrives within. Sleepy metal, when done right, and this is definitely sleepy metal, is such a powerful tool. You can't do a whole album of it because, well, it's... It's not it, a dichotomy it, if it's everything. Exactly. We need that contrast from a lot of the theme work that is just inherent in metal. Depression, anger, wrath, a lot of the the darker sides. That's why you use words like heavy metal, thrash metal. You're using very aggressive terminology. When you have a guitar that takes its time to breathe, when you're very light on the percussion, but you're still working with the same sort of melodies that metal is known for when you're still working with the same sort of tinny sounds out of the guitar when you're still working in a very harsh environment but you make them breathe you make them sweet you're getting something that's really um a flip side emotionally from a lot of the thrash that that we got already on this uh, album. I don't even think it's just br- breathing and, and, and sweetness. I think it's more feeling weak and feeling strained, which is why I do agree that it, it is still working within a harsh environment. There's there's a there's a gritty edge to this that I really, really like. The, um, the, the chords in the background, they're more rolled in more of a melodic fashion. There's no simultaneous playing here to form the chords. The chords are really to form the chords, the chords are really just overlaps from the lingering notes. They give you that chordal feel. So starting off really in the beginning, the, the, the D minor sus 2. Right off the bat, I absolutely love this this clustered feel here as it takes its way up to E flat major and then down to G minor. We actually saw this chord progression earlier on the album in a different key, so that's a really, really nice through line. It lingers with you subconsciously. And then more of a melody takes over, very, very doom almost, in the, like like doom metal. And I, I use that very uh, 
ten tentatively because it's not really doom metal, but it, it's it's a bit more it's a bit more grungy. And then finally, about forty seconds in, we get the verse. I can't remember what happened last night. Can't the light last forever? Those words are uttered in the weakest voice on the entire album. She's not belting. It's it's actually it's just pointed. A- it's it's so as you said. It's so almost childish. It's 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 as if she's been transported to the 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 least powerful moment of her life. But what happened last night? Those words just infuse her with energy, and the music picks up, and everything just comes together. In, in, in a cacophony of just in emotion, in, in mania. It does get quite loud later. We, so we don't get this, this segment for too long, but you gotta, you gotta sit in it and almost savor it for a while it's here because the, the flat style of singing that she uses, it, it almost, it's reminiscent of what I said earlier on the album when I described the overall flat singing style that she approaches this with, but she tends to do that when she's a little bit more forceful. Here, by pulling it back, there was a, a, a singer that rang out in my mind. Um, no haters would jump on this, but it actually reminded me of Evanescence a little bit at this moment because Evanescence also I'm, tends yes, to be yes, pretty, pretty flat, pretty even, well, but more held back. So only in this segment. Uh, I mean, haters be damned, power. Amy Lee had a great singing voice. Like oh, Whether yeah. you like Evanescence or not, she was a fantastic singer. Singer. Oh, I just know that there's bound to be people out of there. They're not at all similar. You know? I know, no. <laughs> you know, but, come but, on. But but I think that it's important to note that Steve's making a comparison from one talented singer to another and in a very specific singing style. I mean, Evanescence was known for that high emotion, high impact new metal sound. Yeah, I don't know if it's purely like an artistic choice to sing this flatly when she's soft or if her unique dynamics really just only come out when she's loud, because I know I described it as being uh, uh, flat earlier, but then I just said that, well, there's a different type of dynamics that she uses, which I described at length in track one. But here, this does have the effect of kind of putting you in a, in a trance, which is why I, I really I really accepted this choice, regardless of the whole, you know, metal tone it back, what you said about the dichotomy. You have to have the dichotomy for it to work. Um, and and then finally, of- that's that little whisper she yes. threw in before... We finally get the loud segment that you were talking about earlier, and this uh, we're back to usual fare here. There's a shift to uh, G minor, a decisive shift to G minor at this point, and it's another kind of like you know, almost slow metal, really again almost that doom metal style, but only in terms of tempo, not in terms of texture. And I want to make that clear about my doom metal comparison. Um, overlaying her own vocals also in the background, this is when it takes on a new layer of power in itself. I mean, she doesn't really do that. Normally it's just her, or you hear that little filter in the background. Finally, now we actually have a little bit of overlaying, a little bit of doubling sometimes, harmonies. Um, she's trying to find that, that, that height, really, it seems. And doubling herself, I assume, because I don't think there's any other, uh, women in the band, then I, I think that's a good way to do it. What she does, though, in the chorus is really the most chilling part of that energy infusion. The words are, I lose control, she takes hold. So already she's, once again, having an identity crisis going on. The mania, the the character, there is a separate soul in her mind. Mm -hmm. I lose control, she takes hold. My spine distorts, the face you've known morphs. Violence comes next, I see red. I try to stay sane for you, but I'm ruled by mania. This, and when this, she says mania, oh, she screams it. This is a direct connection to the, what Steve was talking about with her suffering schizophrenia. I mean, it's undeniable at this point. She's speaking as if she is also someone else. And so it's just so palpable how how aggressive, how fearful, how 
distraught, how confused. Like all of that emotionality is coming through in how she's delivering these lines and in the lyrical content. It's it's stunning and terrifying all at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's also referencing several lines from previous tracks of transformation and things like that. Mm-hmm. A not, sort of forced metamorphosis that's going on right here. Having to transform but not by your own will. Yeah, and then we have a solo that kind of ex- echoes this too. It feels very, it's, it's not like a standout solo. It actually feels a little bit listless, but again, that works with the theme. Well, the thing that's really interesting about this first solo is that listlessness gives way to a, a f- one of the notes towards the end of the solo almost sounding warped or off a little bit where it fell. And that moment kind of gives that, oh, here's a, here's a, here's a thing. Here's a flaw or here's a problem or here's something that's not quite right. Absolutely. That is actually what I think. That's where you find the art within that listlessness, with it where you feel it's just kind of losing control of itself as it goes. It was a beautiful moment. So for once, listless is not a negative. <laughs> it's not anything negative. So then after that, we go into another uh, another set of verse and chorus, and then finally we are out of this whole entire section. We're in a new thing now, and this is the first track to really do this. The first metal track, which, well, this is common of metal, but not in this album so far, to have segments that really transcend your your bridge verse chorus structure. This was pretty neat. Just to talk about the very end here, the end of this of uh, this chorus before we go to the shift. It's a lead-in to part B. Um, we have this chord change from C minor to A flat major to B flat major. This is generally the chord pattern of this whole uh, this whole chorus section. And then finally down to D minor, which is really out in left field. This is a modulation, a distinct modulation back to D, which is actually where we were in the beginning before we had moved up. It's almost a, it's almost a sloppy modulation in any other environment, but it, it, it helps to really just cut this half in two very strongly. And the rhythm changes as a result onto more of like a 6-8 or a 12-8. It really has motion now. Everything is much more flowing. The drums are more f- playful. The You get these low-end toms that are just blasting through everything. And then when the vocals come back, it seems almost as if she's a little bit possessed. They're borderline acapella at times. Uh, instruments melt away, and it just leaves her breathy voice and then a harmonized track in the background. I love this section because it's, it's cagey, and you get several false starts within it. It, it distorts itself, but never really loses its flow. The, even the, the lines, I lose control, I lose control, she takes hold, I lose control. That's all that's said during yep. this expanse. It's enough to keep a cohesion in an otherwise fractured mind. And the way it culminates with a repetition, a reintroduction of the track with the beginning, I can't remember what happened last night, can't the light last forever? It's again that, that that scared child voice coming out. It's almost as if that moment in the song is supposed to represent exactly what the song is about. This losing control, this becoming someone else, it's and, then, and then slipping back into it. Maybe yeah. even one more moment, and that is the return of the rumble. The yeah. same rumble we had in the previous track, it comes here, uh, I think, before the bridge. and it, it's, it's way more prominent than it was in the previous track, absolutely. too. It's really standout-ish, like her whole world is shaking almost, yeah. which it sounds like at its foundation it is. This track, all said and done, deserves to be eight minutes, forty-four oh, yeah. seconds Never, long. It, I'm I'm engaged throughout the whole thing. It's it's frankly it's twice the length of so many other it, songs. It never feels its you, length. Yeah, yeah, I just loved diving into it multiple times because it's 
a beautiful slow burn in uh, slow descent into this madness it, she has. It's such an it's so in, on an, it's so investing on a moment to moment basis. I will even forgive it for the fade out at the end. Well, so it's but just, here's the thing about that fade out is yes, typically we like to be overly harsh on fade outs. We thank Lewis Logic for really hammering that home when he was our guest. <laughs> it was just one of those guys we put it in perspective for us. Be like, yeah, I never did like that. <laughs> so, but this fade out here is dragged out over over a minute. Like, it takes its time to fade, and I think that's why I'm willing to excuse it, because it's almost like the madness is causing this wandering of the mind, and it wanders until it's gone. And I, I think that that kind of fade out can just further strikes home the message of this song, this mania, so I'm willing to forgive it here. As if it's kind of burning out. B- burning out or just The wax candles is all on its way down. So, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I politely disagree. I enjoy the way it kind of meanders till it's gone. Hey, I politely disagreed with me. Well, all right then. <laughs> all right, track six, Four Blood Moons. So we kick this right off with some heavy shredding guitar. We're jumping right back into what we've been getting uh, on wholesale for, throughout the album. It's a restart guitar, if that's an easy way to explain it. It's It decides to start a melody and then stops and restarts the melody and stops and restarts the melody. Like, it doesn't really quite know what it's going to do yet in the beginning of the track. It's a... It's a common theme, and it allows you to really experiment because ideas change as as the introduction goes along. And I like this. I like this kind of finding your center. And then once the vocals come in, it becomes a steady speed riff, and that's where it starts to lose me. Yeah, it is fairly steady, but uh, the thing is, one point about this track is that it's really fast, like super fast, blaringly fast. And the way I figure, you gotta at least have one of those tracks on the album where it just doesn't let up front to back. And with that, yeah, you get some, you get some steadiness, you get some, some repetition, same problems with texture again, all of this. But the rhythms were actually kind of interesting at times. Yeah, there, there's, there's steadiness, and I really don't think this track leaves 4-4 at any point. But you do get some constantly shifting accents within this, which is how I do think they managed to keep it a little bit interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I overall agree with you that, that maybe this, this, uh, in this instance I was really lacking some overall substance. Even the solo itself felt like it was trying out something new, because there wasn't much distinctive prior material to work with, if that makes any sense. But that, at least in itself, was a little positive to me, just for the sake of the solo, because it stepped out of its territory, we got something fresh, and I, again, love the style it was playing with, the throwback to, like, 80s guitar, or the tinny video gamey sound, that kind of thing. The lyrics lose it on me for for the, the course of this track, for the duration, because it's provocative, but there's no context to really hone in on it's it just seems like things to say in a lot of ways it's 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 scattering back and forth mars earth and the sun unite the holy cosmic bond beyond children face the darkness gaze into the heavens of blood and above yeah okay (laughs) where's where's the context for that though i really don't know what what they're getting at there's no context she just had a manic breakdown about with schizophrenia and this is just a, I don't want to say nonsense, but a lot of metal goes into deep metaphor and philosophical and strange lyrics, and it's diving into this because I feel like, how do you follow up something so powerful, palpable, and emotional like that? You give us a heavy, insane metal song that just is there to be catchy and have a hook. I'm not sure I can explain it yet, but I do believe that maybe there is a more metaphorical point behind this. Mm -hmm. Um... 
so I'm not quite ready to to toss it away yet. But I'm but no no, no, no here's the thing. But I I do agree with your point, and especially the concept of the nonsense that metal can go into. We experienced this in a big way back in episode 105, Redeemer of Souls by Judas Priest. Sure. Ooh, that was that was a rough one for us because it it, it really became almost a parody of itself. It's really it's really no. It's it's very different from this album because front to back every single track on that album was this kind of like all right we're going to invoke mythology in various different ways in a different way every time there's not really going to be much of a through line we didn't really see a story it wasn't super poetic yeah and it it was was just just, it would seem like snippets of cliches so I admit that I have a little bit of a short fuse for some of these types of lyrics Um, it's just that I I feel that in some way this is kind of relating i feel it's kind of it's it's got its metaphor in a way prophets of doom four blood moons bleeding sky murder twilight four blood moons blood spills in israel the mystics predicted the change it's strange children remember this the universe won't take your shit lose it um i think that was in fact that wasn't just a metaphor that was the explanation of all the crap In other words, if you're going to have the same thing in mythology, then why can't it exist in your own life or in the children themselves? I know it's a I know it's a stretch, but I I think she catches the bullshit as she as she as she says it, which maybe says it's not that far off from the mental breakdown after all. Well, and also I think that the the overall goal of the song instrumentally and in the delivery is to just have hooks and be kind of a catchy metal song. I mean, that's what hooked me on this track is the way she sings that chorus you just stated. Like, that's that for me is why I like this song. I enjoy it because it engages me, at least in the delivery of the chorus. The verses feel a little plainer, but again, still, I think that there's enough of the metal one two threes here along with a catchy chorus that i got hooked by it and enjoyed it for what it was not looking for it to be more than that well i'm going to go back to an earlier point the point that john mentioned like right at the beginning here and the fact that this this track has a tendency to go through various little uh phases it sort of stops and starts in many ways um uh, that I think helps the intensity of the track and the really fast paced intensity. I think you have to have a few little like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna thrash and now we're gonna just recede a little bit or or let's say listen to your words and now we're gonna thrash again and and the the solos come and go. You have the solo, you have a more exotic solo following, which I think was even better than the first. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that the interim does seem like it's just sort of a it's it's a filler. It's kind of just it it, it holds this track together in a kind of glue and it's not the most like glue isn't interesting in itself. <laughs> glue is just it has a function, um, and maybe that's what my problem was. Is I, I do like the integration to be a little bit more uh, in, engaging in its way. So I just I don't know. I, I I wish the track maybe was a little bit more structured. It, it, it's impulsive in in a way, and maybe that's the point. Actually, impulsive is an excellent way of of uh, stating it. Uh, the sort of uh, giving out of advice, blood spills in Israel, like. No, oh, there's one thing, and then there's another. Children, remember this. It's it's just saying the things that come to mind. Yeah, catching the bullshit that's just leaving her mouth. But at the same time, it's sort of just like you got to get it out. She does go for it. Just It's almost like exercising what was the problem in this song, kind yeah, of actually, letting it fall out of her mouth. That's another cool way to, to, to describe it. And here's a cool one. The prophecy of the blood moons. Astrology assigns your death. Numbers don't lie. Let's die. 
Yeah. Like there, it's very apparent. That's yeah. not that's not bullshit. I mean, even if you see astrology as bullshit, some people do, some people don't. Um, then it it still doesn't matter. We're all gonna die in the end. So whether whether a chart tells you that, or whether you know, or whether this your your medical records tell you that. You're going to die. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're all dying one day at a time. Yeah. That kind of idea that you're moving towards death for every day you're alive. And it doesn't matter how you get there or why you think you get there. The point is you're getting there. Yeah. Um, from here, we're going to track seven, which is the title track of the album, Static. And I just want to speak to something before we get into the song, because I have more to say about the album's title and the title of the track than, than the content in the song, because I think you guys can speak to it a little more. The idea of referring to static knowing what we know about what she's been going through the fact that she was diagnosed with cancer all of these different issues psychological issues that she has that are are you know making things difficult for her defining multiple issues or or, or difficulties that affect your mind calling it static which i think is the point having this kind of static in your brain this fuzz that you can't define or that screws you up i think is very telling very very strong imagery and very it just it's very powerful when i first heard the name of the album i hear stat i hear the word static and of course i think of snow on a tv that's that right tune and and at first I thought, okay, well, that's, I mean, a, an obnoxious noise and metal band referring to that, fine. But the idea of referring to that and that imagery as that on your mind, think about watching Static and looking at Static. After a while... We have to understand what it is. It's the process yeah. of actually receiving everything at yeah. once. You're receiving all of that cosmic background radiation, and it's just receiving it, it, your television, your radio, what have you. can't make sense of it. And, and I think that's so telling about this track and the album that I think it's an important point to make because it made me look at it a little differently. And I think this track supports the struggle of that Static very well and helps define this album and this track. Yeah, and, and this track did have a much stronger melody to me. I, I have some of the same problems musically, but the melody definitely stood above the rest. Uh, specifically, the lines, Machine disease, low frequencies, you cannot hide. Now, with the accents on disease and frequencies, that's where you actually find that she's breaking up her, her phrase here with the same pattern that we actually saw much earlier that the uh, the drums were doing, or that the guitars were doing, this sort of accent on the end of the four, except that here, if it's as fast as I hear it uh, in this track, it's on every other measure instead on every 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 measure. But even apart from that, there was this almost a comeback to my earlier comment about her having a flat singing style here, and the fact that she showed off her vibrato, which we really hadn't seen before, with the pre-chorus right there in the same lines, you cannot hide, and she drags on that note. And then feeding your mind, after saying it crawls inside your ears, feeding on your mind, and she drags out that note with this beautiful vibrato that just leaps out above the rest. And the combination of the verse and what I thought this was, which was a chorus. It was so dynamically different than the first verse. Strange things are happening, confused by the unknown, like science fiction in a dead zone. Another bit of poetry here that I'm thoroughly enjoying. It was so dynamically opposing one another because the rhythm just takes a backseat. The riff just goes away. That punctuation is so pointed. It's working so well with her vocals. Thought it was a chorus. Wasn't a chorus. It was a second style of verse. They revisit this multiple times. The chorus doesn't really show up until much later. Static, the sickness, no one ever survives. That's I, the... I don't even know how to take that line. Well, and that line really is what supports the impact this song and the album title have to me because even though there's no clear 
necessarily definition of exactly what that means. The general gist is the static and the sickness are are one synonymous or synonymous and that that's really static is the madness static is all the issues that have been presented so far and that's i think a brilliant way of portraying this also these lyrics clearly are very close to to her heart because they even though they are kind of almost fantastical in their presentation they are very highly personal in this way they're presented actually one verse does it at one right after the other goes fantastical to serious Brain dead humanity, zombies of the noise, blank generation destroys. Can get no help, no fix. Drugs no longer work. Lost in a maze where life and death blur. Like that. It's that, going from one to the other, almost as if you're phasing in and out of whatever you're going through. Yeah. It's 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 poetic. It's painting a glorious yet extremely disturbing picture. This is this is uh, in a lot of ways. The, the problems I kind of had with, with stuff like uh, Flying Lotus, where it was just all over the place. This is painting it through words, and it's so much more acceptable than that first album we did with, with uh, Flying Lotus. Well, nah, I, I would defend that a little, because again, you, you, you can do it through music or you can do it through lyrics. I'm, I'm sometimes more partial is, to, the, more... to the music, and in this particular case, you know, I still have my problems here. I'm not completely behind this track, despite the fact that I, I really appreciate where she's coming from. I'm still not 100% behind the music. I like certain little motives, certain little tools. Um, and I also like the fact that the chorus is is really fairly brief. It is just that static is the sickness that no one ever survives. Um, very brief. It only comes the first time. And then uh, that's all that's uttered. Then it's back to another repetition of, of the verse, um, a, a two stanza verse. And then... Later, when we get the same stanza again, static is the sickness, no one ever survives. She repeats it again. It's a little fuller. And then finally, at the very tail end of the song, the last refrain of static is the sickness, no one ever survives, is really strong because it's sung slower, much more pronounced, and the core melody is 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 just gorgeous beneath that. Beneath the overall, you know, dun 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 dun, dun kind of creepy, uh, just the melody itself just stands above the rest. Again, I just wish the glue was more interesting. <laughs> I that mean, makes sense. I, it, it does, but I think for me the reason that that's not as much a problem for me is because, again, I'm connecting to the track on a level, on multiple levels, just based on what's being delivered to me narratively. And I totally hear your complaint, but I think I was able to look over it because I'm just so wrapped up in the messaging that's being sent out. Well, I'll go the other route, too. Rather than in include more things, I think also it could have helped to maybe strip things away. I, I think the solo in this track was unnecessary. It wasn't it wasn't uh, grabbing me in any special way like previous solos had, and it just felt kind of tacked on. I felt in in many ways some of the solos run together. So in this track, since you have that message of of static, maybe a more a more pointed solo could have taken place. But it just felt very run of the mill, and I felt like maybe this was a chance for for either there to be no solo at all and just harp on this singular message: static is is the sickness, no one ever survives, or use a solo as a kind of as a kind of static itself, which would be really unique from the musical angle. From here we go to Harsh Times on Planet Stoat. Easily one of the coolest titles I've ever heard of for a track. I think we all agree on that. Yeah, yes. it's actually a really great title. Um, you know, and I overall, the whole song, the song as a whole, I really do enjoy the presentation. It does feel 
reminiscent of the, you know, metal of my past. You know, there are woe-o's, which I know Steve isn't always fond of when we get into the lyrics. Which... Actually, I liked it. Oh, you did I like it I liked it in this, it in this instance. I'll well, get to good. that. I'll get to that later. We'll get to that. I'm I... jumping ahead a little bit. Come, just starting from the beginning here, I this is a really minor point, but the song's in minor. <laughs> the minor point. Ah, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's my minor uh, point. Ha, uh, uh, ha. Yeah, it's a sad album, so of course it's going to be in minor, but yeah. specifically D minor. Lots of these tracks have been in D. I don't know. I don't know. It, it doesn't. It doesn't help the sameness to me. I always wish they could just shuffle around the key a little bit. But maybe you know, it just you know, they're in the zone, so you have to just stay in the zone. I don't know. But still, I'm. I in general agree with you, Matt. I don't think this really has a lot like standoutish points. I think it's. It's. I'm a little more critical of the ends of albums. That's what it always comes down well, to. I think so we especially all are, when you yeah. boil it down, that whole dun 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 dun, dun just steady uh, nature of it. I. I the fact that I was lacking a strong melody in this case was the biggest problem. The fact that you have that and you don't have the flip side. When you when both are, are kind of failing, then I'm more than just a little critical. This is where the the genre really seems to be not not quite holding it back, but this song is trying to represent metal a little bit too much at the end of the day for me. It's not a case of representing metal. No, just as a key thing on the word choice here. Representing as if it's like paying homage, but more like it is stuck within the genre. Again, what I said early on, the genre's holding it back, and it just... This is sort of their go-to thing. It's like it's like the foundation from which you build more interesting things on top of. And this time, it really is just boiled down to the foundation. It's like staring at, at a house, and there's no house. All you see is the concrete slab at the bottom, and you don't have anything above it. Well, that's not very helpful when it rains. That's my point. <laughs> I, I like that. Actually, I like that a lot. Uh, that's that's a much more articulate way of putting it. <laughs> there are some really fun phrases in here though the lyrics are fun which is weird on this album to have something i would even term fun harsh times are coming to planet stoked we lost our orbit when we toked the devil's smoke acid is falling raining bad trips melting our memories with nothing to transmit i'm done with crying in my sleep dying in my dreams phantom limbs solar whims blistering the sky dimensions open wide cosmic war nuclear Nothing is the same. We are the ones to blame. Like, there's there's a lot of... It, it, okay, a lot of drug references. Beautiful trip going on right here. Like, a, not a great trip, but it's a fun-ish way of phrasing it. It's a very circus-oriented way of phrasing it. It also, like, as I alluded to earlier, um, they have a very kind of mentally trope, but only for me, like, as a, a long-time Iron Maiden fan, you know... Very much in a live performance setting, you add woes and oes to kind of bring the crowd in and to kind of do call and response. And that's here, too. On the choruses, they have that kind of woe moment, which, you know, allows for even further engagement. And I actually think it adds cohesiveness to the track that I enjoyed that I was also reminiscent of my past. I wasn't sure if that was a chorus or whether it was an interlude. Because oh, it might was, have been an interlude. There was something interesting here. Like, there was a change around around uh, 2 minutes, 30 seconds, somewhere in that in that range. We had this this, this change that I felt very very unsatisfied by like as if the tra- track was trying to move in other territory but this time I just wasn't having it it was just it was completely held back even even the changes are losing are losing their impact at this point because now the trick is over if you do that too many times and if you don't change the overall texture then I feel like you know you're not really going to you're not not going to make the track anew all of a sudden simply by introducing more new chordal changes something else has to happen and that thing actually did happen ironically enough by the automatopoeia stuff which yes normally I do 
uh, detest because it is just so useless. He's saying, oh, or, or blah, 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 or na, 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 or whatever. You know, it's everyone's trying to reproduce that, that, that Beatles thing at the end of Hey Jude. Well, you're not going to do that. But here, this was still kind of cool. It was a piece of standout-ish musical material within the confines of this track. You have the O-O-O's on the melody, specifically going through from... Uh, well, if you picture the minor scale, then this would be like one, two, three, two, three, four, five, four, and this kind of just goes up and down and kind of in this strange little pattern, which felt very, very natural using the O's. It was cool. Well, I also think for this track to follow static, much in the way we were talking earlier, that Mania was followed by um, <clears throat> Four Blood Moons. It just adds a fanciful fancifulness to it a bit, and it it shakes from the seriousness of the previous track not that this there you know and i think it gives this kind of separation it's it's i think an appropriate follow-up to track seven considering the kind of Mm. album they're building i think that maybe it could have been a little more engaging as a song but content wise i think it 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 does the same thing this kind of crazy drug-addled almost fantasy that follows dealing with hyper focusing on that static i'm but, i'm losing the, the the purpose of the musical follow-ups personally you want to argue that from a theme perspective sure which but, is exactly what i'm doing uh, well <laughs> well even thematically the I fine mean, line there dark carnival dark circus kind of a, a theme to the lyrics yeah the way it's so fanciful and yes it's not talking about great things but this the phrasing is beautiful but we're not getting the same sort of beauty in this track as we have on previous tracks. Sure. I like the lyrics, but I like the lyrics because it's for the benefit of Mr. Kite meets Metallica. That's what <laughs> it's going on right here. No, I, yeah. I, I, I definitely see that. It's actually. just that the music f- fails to achieve that. To yeah, me. That's and that, that mania could have come across if the music was really supporting those words. Yeah. Fair enough. A kind of resting on metal's laurels, if that makes sense. Let's go to track <laughs> nine, Noble Savage. Um, here the melody was kind of strong because, the, especially in the chorus, it seemed to harken back to a more 1980s, like, fantasy epic, where yeah. a shredding guitar just had to make an appearance. Otherwise, it wasn't a badass film. Exactly. So it, here... I, yeah. I, I do agree, Same though, that there is a film structure to this song a bit, at least. It gives strong imagery. I, I feel like metal succeeds even if musically it gets kind of repetitive or samey. If it's painting a picture, at least I can kind of get involved in the narrative. Let's start at the beginning. The, the, the pretty simple melody just to start. You have a steady strum, of course, and then more of a march on the snare accompanied by some low-end stuff. And I do love the low-end stuff, low-end drums particularly, plus a faint echo in the background, like really, really faint. Um, which was also present for the choruses. And this is another example of that whole meekness just seeping through, which I do like. Um, But otherwise, we're kind of on the same exact uh, trend here. Again, it's the end of albums, and I tend to be a little more critical, but just in general, I'm I'm not putting down the quality of of the vocals or the guitars in any way with this album. I want that to be clear. The vocals and the guitar, and lead guitar specifically, has been the strongest point. I think I'm in the same ballpark as before, though. Prior to track five, prior to the point in which we had the uh, the, the let loose with, with the softness, the softness of Mania and the way it began, you know, as of track four, I was feeling a little bit, okay, come on, break up, break it up a little bit. Well, now we're we're moving farther and farther away from track five and I'm having the same experience, even if it is just, you know, a, a case of ADD for one person or a case of, uh, or a case of being a little bit too particular as you go, which I do tend to be particular, but I just think the overall framework is a little bit dull. So at the end, my patience tends to be worn. 
The one thing you did mention was the vocals have been stellar on this album. This track does not exemplify that. Noble Savage, yeah. the vocals, I hate to say it, are actually lackluster. It's There's two modes she has. There's no flowing back and forth between the two. There's no hitting the low, hitting the high, and using the in-between to really get the message across. She goes from one to the next, and it's kind of like a switching system, and that really disconnects it. When you take in the chorus, the English part, no savage, noble savage, defender of the wilds, weapons in hand, it reads like a National Geographic piece. I mean, it's it's I just like a National Geographic. It's just it's odd. <laughs> I don't understand now. what it's doing on this uh, album. I, I think for me, my biggest problem with this track, because even the lyrics, you know, I felt they were kind of inoffensive enough that I didn't love or hate them. For me, the music here, though the melody was pretty strong, and I agree with Steven that, like, it was a melody that I enjoyed. It wasn't a memorable melody. Like, after the track, I'm having trouble retaining what it sounded like all of the other tracks on this album even the ones that fit a more you know finger quotes standard metal format are still fairly memorable to me but here this melody just it it it, i i remember enjoying it i don't remember why i enjoyed it it's too calm in a lot of ways Mm. i think that might be it for me on the vocal front it's it's passive when so much more was active for me on this album uh, that, I feel like it's that might be my biggest disconnect. I'm going to blend this right into track 10 because I think we're Go going the it. same place with this. Uh, what can I say, but it's the same tricks. I hate to say it, but it's Fire true. in my heart, by the way. The, the yeah, track. fire in my heart. I might as well say it. I'm not going to disregard it that much, but <laughs> still. Same tricks. Hate to say it, the and on the four. The dun-dun-dun, in the background, steady strum. To be clear, these things alone are not deal-breakers in quantity... I think they're just tiresome. They cloud the positives, and that's my problem. It's the same problem with track 9 as with track 10. Um, The one thing this did have going for it was a lot more emphasis on the word burn. Whenever she returns to that, it's always very strong. Almost earlier on when she repeated the word Brian. Same same deal. Um, There's more heart in the delivery of the lyrics here than the previous track. Yes. There's definitely more emotion in this track as well. And, lyric- the, and the solo was more emotional, too. It, it, it came a bit earlier this time, and I thought it was a bit more personable. Uh, very 80s again, but more like, let's say, like the police. Like the kind of tone that the police uh, would have in their guitars. Just It's a, it's a great effect um, to kind of you know, add on one little last bit of texture before the album closes. I feel like for this song, though, as good like thematically and, and lyrically it could be as a final track, musically... I feel like it's a little bit of a letdown, only because there was so much power and there was so much specific imagery in so many songs. And for here, going out in a blaze of glory with a song named Fire in My Heart, I feel like should have either gone too far or not as far. I, I feel like it's kind of Considering Mania was eight minutes, yeah. right? And that was your, like, intermission. Well, not an intermission because it was... It was substance, and right. are not it's substance. A, it's the crux of your it third It is the act. crux of your third yeah. Oh, well, of the, just the big divider. It's the act. And then at the end here, I just figured they would... They Do would, something I was similar. really, really thinking that I was going to see another, like, eight-minute stamp. And, and it just, I don't know, this album... Uh, sorry, this track just kind of glided by. But let's look at some of these lyrics here, because with a track called Fire in My Heart, certainly she has some, uh, some bye-bye messages. Be forewarned of the blaze that lays with me. Raising hell to get off. Yeah, I'm in heat. Ooh, can't you feel the fire deep in me? I actually like that. 
but it sort of centralizes and sexualizes her in a way that really hasn't happened on the album. That's a little it bit has, of a disconnect. No, it has happened. It has, it has happened. happened. Absolutely. This happened. is a little more blatant. Now, That's the thing It was for me. pretty blatant in Brian. It was pretty pretty blatant in the track before But that, that was too. an obsessive kind yeah. of situation here. That's being so hyper-specific. It's, there's sexualization in the album, so I feel like that's not as far. I feel like that's too nitpicky the bigger okay, problem okay then here, how about this it feels also like... flesh should happen there yeah yeah sure. okay that, that is true the mania of the those previous things are gone i feel like this is a straightforward i mean maybe but also if she's in the kind delivery, of getting in, in the delivery it's it's i don't see that control i feel like actually by this point there would be no control especially because of Noble Savage and what it actually does say for the album, for the theme itself, she has embraced her wild side. Here, there's a, it really is the explanation of that wild side, but it's very, very well explained. Well, there was never necessarily an indication, and now we're really getting into the crux of this theme here, but there was never an indication that she wanted to embrace it. I think there was actually more of an indication that she wanted to repel it at all costs, that if to, if she were to embrace it, it would undo her. I feel like that was more the hint earlier on, which is why I, I do feel there's more of a need in Fire in My Heart to tone it back a little bit. And the lyrics do seem... To, I mean, even just look at that, that one line, I've got the fire in my heart. All right, well, I, I, I have the fire. I, I will... I will own it in some way, but it's more, it's resolution. So you don't you don't break that out with madness. It's a resolution of your madness, if that makes sense. So keep it keep it down. But it's so eloquent. It's so <laughs> that's the problem I'm having well, that's with what it. Results from true understanding of oneself. Yeah. But it's it it she's mad. It's it's supposed to be the mania. But you can be mad and still understand something. You could be absolutely angry and still understand exactly what's happening to you. But she doesn't sound it. I mean, that's the oh, crux for me. I mean, I there's guess. okay, no no no. There's so many different ways to portray madness. Sure. And to portray the straight man who's mad, the straight individual who understands their madness, but there's there's no tick. There's no indication that that madness actually still exists at this point. Other than just the explanation of it, that's where that theme is falling apart for me on this final track. I disagree only because I feel like the fact that there seems to be less of a sign of it here leads to more of a resolution for the album than anything else. I think that as a whole, the sound of the track it blends with the previous two, but as far as a an exclamation point or period on this album... The song half does a good job and half doesn't. And also, it's not it's it's not like it's um completely eloquent here. There's yeah. a, a an embrace that still comes from a very very strong place. Gonna mainline rage into your veins. I'm gonna give you a lethal dose of pain. Come on and get it. Scorching the night who you wanna get lit. Yeah, burning for your black art in flames forever higher. I've got the fire in my heart. Um, it's still an affirmation. Yeah, it, there's definitely there's still that aggression there, and I think that. I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's a, a, a strange way to close the record, um, but I don't think it's bad necessarily. I'm not at that point yet. Um, I do want to make a quick mention that there is an 11th track, a bonus track on some versions, but it's a bon It's clearly a bonus track. It's labeled everywhere bonus track, so we're not going to get into it. It's called Black Tongue. Um, Jess, if you want to hear us talk about Black Tongue, shoot us an email. We'll send you a write-up. Or wait till it's on a further LP. Yeah. Um, I'll volunteer to go first. Sure, okay. go ahead. All right. Uh, so you noticed that I was being a bit particular about this album. 
spy that is just me, I had to be particular, I think, in order to find the best stuff. I worry that if I had not done so, this album would have just floated over me. In fact, on an earlier listen, that's what happened. I was pretty unenthused. They're obviously talented, but I think that talent is at times stifled by tradition here. I've heard a lot of this music. I've heard it over the course of my lifetime. Um, I was in that scene back in high school, or, well, not in it, but around it, whatever. <laughs> and there's, there is an unmatched energy to it. I'm going to admit that right up front. I used to hang in the crowd. It was fun. But after a while, the energy just isn't enough for me. I fear that to many other listeners, that is uh, listeners that don't spend a lot of time in this genre, then I fear that this album to them will just be a whitewash of sound, like I said earlier. There's not a lot of middle ground. Um, maybe the theme says that there isn't. There isn't a middle ground. This is either your... Well, actually, maybe if by static it's all middle ground. It's kind of ironic. I feel still it's about extremes. It's about coming at you from the right, coming at you from the left. But overall, there is that glue, which just sends across one thing, and it doesn't really invite those other listeners in. When you're particular, though, like I was, then you will find those things. When you look inside the vocals and you find the choice for certain, for certain, uh, for certain themes, you find the choice behind certain uh, musical motifs, you find the choice behind certain chord changes, then you really get a lot more out of this album. And that's what subsequent listens helped me find, because the, that on the early listens, I was admittedly one of that crowd. I just thought it was, oh, well, this is um, it's a metal album. What are you gonna do with it? It's <laughs> something. It's big sections, rows and rows in music stores. You find these big sections, and you don't know where to begin because you know you have this preconceived notion of of genres as one thing, which is why I like defined fusions, and it's why we have tended to look at fusions. But it doesn't mean you can't do a lot still within the bare bones genre itself. And this did quite a lot. It was just very in subtle turns, and that's what leaves me kind of in a middle ground place with this album. I think it is. It's a good album. Um, it still may be in somewhat average territory for me because of the areas in which it just withholds a little bit and doesn't really go full force. Certain musical choices just don't seem to to give me what what other tracks clearly did. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I can't really reconcile that. So maybe this is just the case of what we experienced about two weeks ago with Beirut, where the the ideas behind it were to sort of be this this maddening state of uh, of sometimes going all out and then sometimes cruising along. I don't know. I'm going to give this benefit of the doubt and just put it smack dab in the middle of our three ratings. I don't think this is a three, which is a merely average, average album. I think this is about a 3.5 because she's laying a lot in the line and she, I think, every step of the way knows why she's doing it. You just have to know why she's doing it. And I think that's the biggest challenge. I'm going to start off. I was never really fond of metal. It's not its not my cup of tea. It's just something about it I never was able to really get into. This album I got into. Maybe in spite of its metal leanings, maybe in, maybe in spite of the genre itself, I really did enjoy this album. Towards the end of it, yeah, I think the general consensus is it, it kind of loses you if you're looking for something outside the realm inside the realm as steve said it exemplifies exactly what the genre is for that though i gotta say it's 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 better than a three five i'm really enjoying so many tracks on this album 
Flesh is great, Brian is magical, so is Mania, and Static stands out at the end of the album. I mean, I I don't like sleepy guitar metal songs like Mania is too often. They feel like a trope in and of themselves, but Mania I, I, I fell in love with. And as a person who I've spoke on this uh, podcast a few times has suffered from mental stuff, Manic depression and all, all, all the things associated with it. Know that. that John's not de- demeaning it by calling it mental stuff. It's just... That's how I deal with it. Yeah, that's yeah. how he deals with it. That's exactly... <laughs> I, I regard it as... Want to make that clear. By lumping lo- it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Mania spoke to me. I, I've, I've even viewed my own depression as a separate entity in, in many ways. And to, to see it portrayed lyrically just so beautifully did a lot to speak to my own personal conditions. Now, I'm not in the same sort of area as Huntress. I, 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 I thank my stars that I don't have to deal with the sort of things that she's dealing with. But it's amazing that she was able to portray it. So for me, the, the, the really beauty of the theme and the whole arc of the album just, just makes it more than a 3-5. It really is an upper tier album I kind of liked in spite of itself. So for that, it's a 3.75. It's not a four, it's not something I'm really gonna revisit, but it, it really is something that, that definitely is a bit of a trendsetter for me. And it's ironic you said uh, that Mania was a s- sleepy song that you're not usually a fan of because I'm on the exact opposite plane, whereas that's what I'm looking for. And not, if, for this me, were, not if this were an album of Manias, oh, this would, this would be upper. If this were an upper, upper... album of Manias, I'd be scared. Yeah. Well, true. And, and and as Matt said, you can't count the dichotomy against itself because Mania does work against the rest. So for me, this album is a field trip into my past. Um, I have stubbornly tried to bring other metal albums on the show. I believe Black Sabbath's 13 was my pick. Judas Priest was my pick. Him was my pick, though I wrongfully called that metal. Um, Scale the Summit was my pick, and then, well, God Sticks had their leanings. All right. Yeah, God Sticks, I would push more towards grunge than metal. Anyway. I don't agree. Semantics. We never will. <laughs> anyway, my point is, we, we've, all, we've done a fair share of heavier stuff on this, and with God Sticks is mostly the exception, of course, Scale the Summit. Most of the time, it hasn't been great. Some have been good. Some have been not so good. Alone, if I was just rating this on how metal it was, it'd be in the high fours because it's very metal. And I've been looking for very metal. I haven't really heard a lot of really great metal lately. Um, I'm actually really interested to go back into their past works, as Jess had said in her email, that their first two records were really great, um, alluding that this album she may not have liked as much as the previous two, which I'd be interested to know. So after you listen, please comment and let us know how you felt about this record. But that said... It's not just being rated against metal, it's being rated against all of music like we always do, which sounds way more stuffy when I say it aloud. I, I agree with both John and Steve on a lot of points, so I'm kind of split, but I'm not, I'm not going to reiterate a lot. But I think for me, the thing I mentioned during Static is really what pulls this album up for me. The framework of this record, the theme of this record, and the way you portray this pain and suffering she's going through through it being this kind of static I mean that song was exactly what I said it sounded like it was so I think for me that with the rest of the album pulling together around it really 
made me connect. The add-on, the nostalgia I have for, for good quality, old school metal that I get a lot of here, really for me makes this album pretty strong for me. I will agree though, it's not a, it's not a four or higher only because there are moments where you can tell they do lean on it being metal. And if you enjoy metal, you'll probably rate this higher because and it, and you it like laps, metal. And it, it laps itself a bit. It does. But all of that said, I, I'm really on board with this record. I enjoyed it, and and it was it fed the beast, so to speak. It really <laughs> did satisfy what I was looking for. So I'm going to pump it up even a little bit higher. For me, this is a not much, but it's a 3.8. I think it approaches the Fort territory in how brave it is, how adventurous the theme is, and I think that actually how brave it is is what pushes it a little bit for me because I connected and that's there but again you can't ignore some of those moments that felt repetitive and I'm, I'm glad I did spend time with this album yeah. uh, to be particular about it because otherwise I wouldn't have you know had the realizations that that we did well which is after all why we do this podcast right so also wrapping up our wrap-up thank you Jessica for recommending this we hope you dig our analysis of it and please let us know what you think and before our topic <coughs> I remembered two more metal albums by the way the Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra and Swans is uh, to be kind no Swans was just pain that's all Swans <laughs> yeah it's more noise or I got yeah, Swans what do you do anyway some um, of it was really good none of the 30 minute tracks but some <laughs> of it was really good um, moving on to our topic for this week, um, it's something that was actually brought to my attention just by existing in a space where music exists. What I mean more specifically is, if you've been under a rock or dead, you don't know that Adele put out a brand new record. Otherwise, if you're anybody else, you do. It's been spoofed on Saturday Night Live, it's been spoofed on BuzzFeed, it's all over the internet, it's everywhere. Her new song, Hello, which is unrelated to the Lionel Richie song of the same name, it's super hyped. It's everywhere. And I, it made me think, well, A, I probably will give it a listen at some point. But when people keep talking about it, it almost makes me go, mm, maybe I don't want to listen to it. Because if everyone's talking about it, I've got nothing to add to the conversation. Maybe I don't care. Well, first said, of all, for anyone who's dead, please comment below this episode. Exactly. Because I would love to hear some insights. But so the point I'm trying to make is, I wonder, does hype really hurt? record releases, or does it help, or both? I mean, I don't know that there's a clear answer, but for me, I felt like the hype of Adele may personally deter me from listening. Probably not, but it's, it's a factor. Okay, I have the perfect reason why we both arguments are, perf are, are, are completely valid, because we have Green Day and we have Weezer, and Weezer was a great album, in my opinion, and Green Day was a terrible, terrible a terrible trilogy. It wasn't even an album. It was and a they both had huge hype behind them. Yes. Uh, they were, especially in the sort of circles where I get my music news and everything like that, they were blowing up. Billy said it was the greatest before, during, and after party of all time. And Uno Dos Trey did not even come close to that. And Rivers really was saying it was a come back to roots with the new explosion into new types of genres and Weezer delivered it was it was both sides of the coin for me but the problem is there's somebody being paid to make this hype and I think that might be the best point of this discussion you can't trust hype in general because it's a way to make money but not all I hype is paid for in the world of social media that hype can just be fandom 
it's not always. Oh no, for. I definitely think we mostly create our own hype. Yeah. Um, which is why I want to speak to the dead crowd since you brought it up, because maybe I'm one of them. I, I don't know. I don't like hype personally, so I guess I must be dead or under a rock. <laughs> um, I haven't seen that rock, but I guess I'm under it. I don't really dig hype. I think it has a tendency to really uh, inflate our perceptions of things. I think it has a tendency to just infuse us with this idea that, oh, the next big thing is coming, the next big thing is coming. I almost would rather it just be a simple little notice like, well, this next thing is coming. Don't say big thing. Just say the thing's coming. And it will probably be enough for me to check it out. I tend to go more off humility than I do the giant poster on every single, you know, construction site. You know, I've seen this where it's just plastered. This happened to me with older albums by bands I loved, for instance. Uh, TV on the radio's Return to Cookie Mountain. Um, I've talked about TV and the radio before. We reviewed them uh, in episode 122, uh, the album Seeds. Well, this is long before Seeds. Seeds was uh, the 2014 release. I'm talking way back to um, 2006, which would have been following their initial album, Desperate Youth, Bloodthirsty Babes. That was my favorite album. It was absolutely... It, it went through, through the, the ceiling, as far as I'm concerned, for a debut release. And then they came out with Return to Cookie Mountain. Well, I was very eager and also very green at the time as to what uh, bands would, would do for their follow-up releases. So when they got to 2006 with Return to Cookie Mountain, and I, I experienced the same thing. I experienced the hype and exactly what I described. Posters on construction sites, one right next to the other, sometimes up to 25 in a row. Maybe that guy was lazy. And he was supposed to really, you know, cover the city a little bit further. But he stopped at that construction site, and it was a little ridiculous. But it stuck in my subconscious, and I went out and got the album. And I remember liking a bonus track. That's it. <laughs> I, I mean, it was, it, was the, it was, as far as I'm concerned, the beginning of a downhill decline where they actually got more positive and uplifting, which I didn't want from TV on the radio. But since they've done that now for most of their career, with a little bit of an upturn in Dear Science, I guess that really is more them, and Desperate Youth was just their oddball debut, which I still think is brilliant. But that is a specific case of advertising going in your eyes and getting you to get something. Yeah, but the, it was it was the advertising. I might have got it anyway. I was gonna say that was mostly self-propelled hype, and and you know you were already a fan, so you built it up in your mind, and when you saw it, I everywhere, admit I might have gotten it anyway. But it's at the high, like I said, being a little bit greener at the time, you do think that sometimes the posters and the people talking about it means that it's good. Think but, about it, okay, and we are okay. going we're going to get a little bit outside music here, because I know John's going to want to talk about this, but but Star Wars is probably the biggest uh, hype train? Uh, hype train doesn't it's even do it justice. People, Death Star. Hi, sure, why there not? Use the very thing we're talking about. But, the point is I'm not talking about the most recent film, or the film that's coming out in not only two, three weeks now. I'm talking about the original prequels, oh, and yeah. that is a case where. I, oh yeah, it was I, all hype and all disappointment. All hype and all disappointment, and there it were just, lightsabers. There was. <laughs> I'm not sure the disappointment Williams would have been it. quite as grand if, for I've instance, the hype so had not been, and for if, if the trailers had not been as good. That's true. I mean, they were amazing trailers. I'll I'll argue that till death. And trailers are a good example of singles. Why have singles if you're not trying to create hype? That's the whole that's the whole point for them. We actually had one case where the single did a lot for hype that had no context for the actual album itself. Left hand free. That's yeah, true. well, that and that's one we discovered after the fact. But it was well, no, we discovered as of the time that it was an oddball entity in in. Uh, that was made Alt, for Alt marketing. J's, Alt J's This This Is All Yours, well, which was yeah. from episode 120. And this was a, a single that was released 
literally just for the American crowd because it was a, a British band and they wanted, you know, they, they wanted to promote it everywhere. And they thought this, this track, this, this kind of second-rate track as far as the album was concerned, was going to be popular over here. Oh, that's... First of all, that's that's predicting your audience a little bit too much. I think you should just do the art that you want to do and then, you know, let hype be damned. Who well, likes it will, who li- will be who likes it. I think we should also, though, consider singles aren't just hype and, and, and media generation engines. I mean, artists who are producing their own work or slow to release an album might have tracks that are finished, whereas the album is not, and they want to release a few singles to del- as a delay tactic to get the album out and get people still hungry, though, for the work that you're doing. So you but right there, forgotten. the word you use, they want people to get hungry. That is hype. That is exactly what I'm talking about. To be fair, though, I'm not talking about, I mean, at least with respect to this discussion, I'm not talking about upstart artists of who course. really desperately We're need to. We're talking about the big artists. Yeah, the like big Adele. artists yes. who I, I think, I, I suppose the, the goal for them with hype is to maintain some kind of artist uh, safety net. A safety net so that way they won't be forgotten because they've already achieved success. But now they have to they sustain have to it. sustain it, keep it, and actually pretend as if they actually have like a a, a job with um with a salary. That's not the way art works. You don't mm-hmm. really have salaries. You're constantly working on commissions from one to the next, and uh, you know that that can be a little tiring. So if you're not maintaining the hype, then that means you're gonna be stuck in that loop for the rest of your life. But at least if you have a good publicist, then maybe it can at least seem like you're getting a salary because there's this constant discussion taking place in the world. And I feel like it's unfair to say all hype is bad. I feel like Steve's perspective of how he prefers not to engage in hype makes sense, but I feel like there is a certain importance to hype. I mean, people getting excited about the thing they like is important. Going back a little bit to Star Wars, I'm excited about the new movies. Not even completely jaded by the terrible prequels, I'm still excited about these new movies. But... I have not watched the trailers over and over again. I've watched none of the TV spots. I'm taking in limited media because I don't want to overhype it. And I think that's where the problem and the defining line is. Some hype and excitement is okay, but overhyping, whether you do it to yourself or the media does it to you, is where there might be a disconnect or a problem. And I'm easily the biggest Star Wars nerds here because I've read probably four to 500 expanded universe short stories. You hear that doesn't books. matter anymore. I know. <laughs> One of the things that actually has sort of divided the community, yes. Yeah. They retconned the entire books that are associated with books, Star Wars. Books, comic books, video everything. games, everything. Eh, a lot of fans are pissed. But I have no expectations for this movie. I saw the trailers. I was like, ooh, that's cool. Look, Harrison Ford. Look, Chewbacca. Look, the Millennium Falcon. Hey, these are new characters. I really, I don't care at this point. I think I'm totally jaded not jaded but i've made myself completely numb because in a lot of ways this is one of the most important things in my life it was (laughs) i'm i'm only saying that because it what it's one of the things that definitely got me into reading serially reading just to enjoy reading not reading something that's interesting to my mind but reading because i want to devour the words it got me into a lot of my hobbies, and I'm not talking about collecting Star Wars, I'm talking about a lot of the the things I like to do with my hands, manipulating stuff, collecting things in general. It's been a very informative part of my life. But see, here's well, here's where I'm going to just pull back from that a bit, because that's that's a specific type of personality. Now, I I love art of all kinds. I will immerse myself in it to death, but here's the thing. 
I'm not, I don't have the same collecting mindset. I actually have a real deep problem with uh, cross cannons. I, 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 it actually offends me deeply, and, and I'm sure that comment will offend many other people. But, you know, it's sometimes I, I have an opinion on this, and it's, I feel that when things are doubled and tripled, and, and especially concerning Star Wars, the expanded universe, I've heard very, very many great things. But a lot of, a lot of times, I'm just, I stick to originals. So for me, you know, it was, it started as a movie, and to me, that is a movie thing. And I'm the same with books. Yes, you can make a great uh, movie out of a book, but is sometimes you should just stick to the book. I feel like in many ways, it, it's just giving people other mediums so they can get further away from the core art. Regardless of whether you can make a better product in the process, that to me is is just removing myself from the initial brunt. Imagine the way people experienced the 1977 Star Wars film. They had no conception, no preconceptions or whatsoever. It was just going to a movie. And I really am trying my best to go into this new film with the same exact mindset. So it has nothing to do with collecting, it has nothing to do with the expanded universe, it just has to do with that. This is the a new installment of the art form. The fact that it's a <clears throat> sequel already almost takes it down a peg to me, but uh, that it's in a, you know, new environment and a new director, I will try to give it the benefit of the doubt. I know this is a far way off of music, but still, this is the same concept that I have in terms of music. I have it in terms of covers. I have it in terms of, of you know, performances and extrapolations and mashups and things like that, which I enjoy more as curiosities. But sometimes you just want an original work. Nothing feels as, as wholesome to me as that. That's my piece. It's fair enough. I mean, honestly, it's not an important diatribe if Star Wars doesn't come up. Also, not the first time we've talked Star Wars on this podcast, so, you know, there's that. Williams. We're like a really, Williams. really heavy you know music what? podcast with the, with the side of Star Wars. With the side of Star Wars. Well, well, it's Williams, who... It, Williams, right. Who's thankfully, impacted. at least we'll get great music. I don't care who does it. I don't, I don't care what the, how bad the acting... We're going to get great music. It's yeah. Williams. It's true. He delivers. Um... No, I think it's a, f- a fair point, though, bringing it back to, to hype and to, to, to that collecting mindset. I think that Steve makes an interesting point in linking hype and that need to collect or bring stuff in. I mean, I will admit there was a lot of personal hype on the currently yet unreviewed on this podcast Vice Quadrant by Steam Power Giraffe, considering how much we love the last two records and how much I like the first I record. may have been talking it up a few times off air. So... <laughs> I think we've kind of covered the Pantheon on hype. I think this is a place where I'd kind of be curious how other listeners feel about hype, if if it affects your buying decision. This is an interesting discussion because we, we didn't so much come to conclusions as is really, really feel strongly about our own, which can which are divergent. Right. So, yeah, somewhere, hopefully you're, you're in a middle ground on that spectrum. Somewhere. Um, before I get into what we're doing next week, um, we have a comment on a previous post, um, one of our previous podcasts, which will relate to something I'll bring up after. So, Steve, take it away. Yes, we got a comment from Star F, who, by the way, has suggest had suggested our uh, 140 episode 148 discussion of We Cool by Jeff Rosenstock, which is a very interesting project, and he commented on that podcast too, which is a giant uh, comment. Please go read it. It's 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 what we want so desperately <laughs> out of this project is to have an ongoing discussion, and it helps, of course, if you recommend the album, then you have a vested interest, and then you listen, and then you want to come back. But we encourage anyone who just has a 
curiosity and interest in any album we do, just to, you know, post your opinions on it. Let's get a discussion going. Well, Star F apparently wanted so badly to recommend Blurry Face by 21 Pilots as well, which was our very recent discussion in episode 168. And, well, he decided not to go for it because he figured that would be, you know, greedy on his part and there are other people who want requests and whatnot. Well, he got what he wanted anyway because that just happened to be John's pick that week. You're welcome. So, Star F had to comment and I'm glad he did. And he says, Hey guys, long time no comment, but I had to stop by to say that I'm really stoked that you did an episode about this album. Back when it came out, I wanted to send it in as a suggestion, but I felt that it would be too greedy, as I said, considering you had already done an episode at my request for We Cool. So I was pleasantly surprised when this popped up in my feed. I think your review was pretty much spot on, as per usual. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the first half of this album is definitely stronger, is definitely the stronger half, and I often find myself switching over to something else, or just generally losing interest once I hit the judge. The second half isn't bad, of course, but it does seem to just kind of meander on the same points, with shining moments here and there, mostly with Message Man. I will say that while it does feel a bit misplaced in the context of the entire album, I really do enjoy the song We Don't Believe What's On TV, which I know we all liked. Yep. Most likely because I'm more partial to the upbeat, punkish feeling of it. But that song definitely grabbed my attention, and I love hearing it when it comes on. I also like your read of the line, My taste in music is your face, from the track Tear In My Heart. I never really heard it as a sarcastic throwback to music elitism, but rather as an endearing statement towards the woman who is the subject of the song. My take was that the songs on the radio being okay was all of the other girls and how they're fine, but his taste in music was her a song that really shines and stands out among all the noise. I'll be back to that. Lastly, I need to point out my that my favorite part of Fairly Local that wasn't touched on in, in your podcast was the fact that the oh, 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 and all the onomatopoeia stuff in the hook actually counts up how many times it's happening. In the first hook, you hear that part once, in the second, twice, and so on. Maybe it's not as subtle as I feel like it is, but once I realized it was happening, I thought it was a really cool touch. Anyway, I've rambled on long enough. Keep on being rad. Ah, so many comments. So many comments. Well, in the comment. But um, actually, I went back. In, 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 as a result of this comment, I went back to that song, and I, I had a little peek at it, and I think you may be right. I think we may have uh, had a little bit too much fun with that line, music is your face, my taste of music is your face, and we thought it was a sarcastic little jab. But uh, yeah, I read into a little more. I think that was really more, if that was secondary, then it's neither here nor there. I think it was really the woman. Well, uh, that said, though, so I think thank it's you. great. Yeah, thank you. We, that's what we want. We want people's other, other people's opinions on that stuff and or pointing out things we may or may not have mentioned. So please continue to do that, Star F. Also, I want to give a big thank you to Star F because he did donate to the site as well, which we really appreciate. It helps us create more content and new stuff and... You know, it's just we're trying to build out the website and do more than just the two podcasts. And so every little bit helps. So thank you. Um, and we appreciate the engagement. You know, I don't bring up donations a lot because it's already on the site. If you go to the site, you can see it. But we do accept donations. We are trying to build out the podcast and improve the sound quality always. We're always improving, you know, want to improve the quality of the work we're bringing in, do more work have more time and the more donations we get the more that we can build and expand this website and podcast so thank you for that um i guess this would be a good place to move into what we're doing next week so next week i'm bringing us back to a familiar place but we haven't visited them in a while so we've talked at length many a time on other podcasts as well as the one where we reviewed them about muse um, we did one of their previous records very fairly early on, within the first year, I oh, feel very like. early. Episode 16, The Second Law. 
And so, you know, we were all Muse fans. We liked Knights of Cydonia. We really loved Supermassive Black Hole, that kind of stuff. That it, was our, it was our first all pick. Yes. And so since we were all big fans, we picked that. This time around, it's not an all pick. I'm bringing it to the table because I would like to revisit Muse again um, as fans of them. And since we've revisited other bands that we were all fans of, I thought it was nice to bring Muse's latest record, Drones, to the table. Now, I've heard some interesting things about this. I've heard that they've taken kind of a different take. It's a little more stripped down. All these things that I have not proven by listening to it yet, I'm holding out. But I've heard these things come up, so it should be an interesting discussion nonetheless. I've heard snippets. And yes, of course, we have our, our, our mission to, to keep our podcast as diverse as possible, and we're looking for new names. But yeah, sometimes you got to anchor back a little bit. And Muse was was a band that really started off in one way as a general uh, just rock band that were pretty tight and solid and then they burgeoned out into this strange symphonic rock thing that everyone was just very very intrigued by and we caught it actually probably at the height of that I know the preceding album the one before the second law was was uh, really really grand in and of itself but then the second law tried to do something even greater and there's uh, videos of uh, Matt Bellamy accompanying you know yeah. the orchestras and it's just it was a massive ordeal so it was too early in our podcasting life t- lifespan in order to be tackling something of that magnitude. I do think returning to them would uh, it would suit us and do them justice yeah. at this stage now. Since I know career. going back to the second law, I do enjoy it more now than I did at the time. Um, so that's what we're taking on next week. So tune in for that. And remember, music is life. And, and life, life is, is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.